In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. On this week's episode of the podcast, we are back and we are excited about it and we are not going to be happy because Drew is telling us a very sad story about Manchester United. It is a very, very sad and tragic story. Well, I will get my box of tissues ready and I will also buckle up because this is Deadball Brothers. Welcome to Deadball Brothers once again. We are back, baby. This is a weekly soccer podcast. It's a weekly weekly podcast. It's a weekly history podcast. It, it's it's a, all of those things. It's a loose weekly. Loose weekly. Currently. It's a weekly-ish. Weekly-ish podcast. We've been bad. We, we've, we've run into some difficulties. Well, yeah, there, there have been a lot of obstacles this year. So a couple of COVID scares yeah. that occurred with both of us this month. We yeah. both tested negative. Good news. Shouts out. Uh, some travel. Uh, just just some some not not ideal circumstances for podcasting. But yes, this is a weekly podcast about soccer and history with a healthy dose of stupidity. And we are your hosts. Yes. Me, myself, Adam Whitaker Snavely, joined as always by my real life brother. Drew Snavely. Um... I don't really know what to make of Manchester United right now. They're up and down. Very up so, and down. So, um, Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, very much so. It's like, one day you feel like beating PSG and RB Leipzig, and then the next day you feel like losing to... PSG at home. PSG at home. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, I don't off. feel bad losing to PSG. I think the way that it happened was pretty rough, considering how well we played. Yeah. We just we didn't capitalize on our mistakes. Sure. I think we still could have won with ten men. Um, we just unable to capitalize on the mistakes that PSG was making and the opportunities that we created, like the Cavani chip. Did you see that? I did see it. Man, that would have been so. Ooh, awesome. That would have been sick. The um, Neymar our, goal was sick. The Neymar goal was well. The was second, fun. the second one, I think. And yeah, it's with all with the just just the. How he started the counterattack and then finished it off, too. Yeah. Real nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to get into... That's fair. That's fair. The, We're not asking you The to. coaching strategies behind, behind all that. of that. I will get into saying that this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online and Indeed. And it's part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Always got to throw that in. We do. Shout and out to those guys. Thank you for getting us back on that track. We are... We are back and, uh, well, I don't know, shaking off the dust. Yeah, sh- uh, it's a little rusty, but that's okay. We're shaking back. Shaking it off. Back in the saddle, baby. And let me tell you what, I've got some exciting things planned for this old month of December. Oh, December is a, a beautiful month. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things happening. Um, I personally love Christmas. I don't know. I mean, you, you like Christmas, all right? I'm a big Christmas guy. You're, you're a pretty, pretty yeah. big Christmas guy. I like, I like holidays in their place. Yeah. And so I, I have a healthy appreciation for Christmas, but I don't love Christmas like in October. Yes. I'm not yes. all about the people that are like, 
uh, it's November now. Time to listen to Christmas songs. Yeah. Like let's yeah. let's let's keep our holidays in order and then do do everything in its place. But when, once Christmas time rolls around, I'm uh, snow miser and heat misering all over the place. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, what I a... actually turn into a claymation figure. Name a better duo. I can't. Name a, name a more iconic duo. I, I, I can't. I'll wait. I you'll be waiting for a long time. My <laughs> I'll friend. wait. Because those guys, Man. they got bangers. Can't get they more iconic than that. Bangers. We, you kind of alluded to it. We have something in the oven right now. We're cooking something. Yeah. We're, uh, for the for the end of the month, end in twenty twenty with a bang. Indeed. With, the Deadball Brothers. Yeah. Well, yeah. We we turn the oven on. It's at three seventy five. It's oh, preheating right now. It's a great great temperature. We're just waiting. We're just we're just letting it cook a little bit. Mm. And when it comes out. It's going to be so, so good. Hopefully you guys think it's as good of a di- idea as we think it yeah, is. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> that would be great. If you guys think that it's a good idea, that would oh, be uh, ideal. But Drew, you today have a story for us that uh, is not as good as our as our uh, December idea. Or maybe it's not as good. Maybe not as happy is the, is the correct word. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not... Um... It's definitely not a a fun story to tell. I think it is a very important story to tell. And I think that there are a lot of positives that come out of the story. Sure. I don't know. You you see it everywhere, like something beautiful coming out of something so terrible. Yeah. You know, and so that's what hopefully I can manage to do with this story. You convey that. Hopefully I convey that. Yeah. It's been a while since... Manchester United has popped up in a story. In fact, there's only ever been one other time that we've covered them in a story, and it was when they're in that match fixing scandal mm. uh, with with Liverpool in 1915, when league soccer didn't even really matter that right, much. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <You know>? It's <laughs> like World War One. <laughs> um, I mean, not not as a not as big of a deal. Yeah. Just isn't. Just isn't. This story is. Definitely different than that. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to kind of take us on a journey um, of the the life of Matt Busby. Oh. So yeah. I think um, this is the angle that I want to tell the story from. Sure. Because he's kind of the guy that is the central figure um, to everything that happened in the mid-20th century. For mm-hmm. Manchester United. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, on May 26, 1909, Alexander Matthew Busby was born into a Scottish mining family. That's that feels like the uh, the the like the UK equivalent of West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when There's, I read <laughs> the weather is super bleak and you know you only have one job opportunity in life and that job opportunity is probably going to kill you. Yes. I um when I read that all I could think of was uh, I've got the I've got the black lung pops. <laughs> You've got the black lung pops. <laughs> A little Zoolander for you guys. And much like West Virginia and the United States, the only way to get out of those mining mining towns is football. And, you know, I think that that parallel runs well here, although it might be a different kind of football. Yeah, yeah, a different kind. It's soccer. And Busby, despite being in a mining town, said he was 
raised with the religion of football. His sure. direct quote. But he means soccer. He means soccer. He means, uh, <laughs> that's what <laughs> that's what he means. So he was raised by basically just his mother after his father wolves. was He was raised by wolves. He was not raised by wolves. <laughs> he was raised by a very strong mother because his father died in World War One, which is yeah. obviously terrible. terrible. Um, and obviously Busby dreamed of becoming a professional soccer player. And he actually managed to do that. He started his club career with Manchester City, making over 200 appearances for the club from 1928 to 1936, which is a significant yeah. chunk of that's time. A, that's a long chunk of time. With Manchester City, I should yes. reiterate. The other Manchester club. Yes. In 1937, he moved to Liverpool. Wow. For the next few years, uh-huh. making over 100 appearances before World War II broke loose, during which Matt Busby was a soccer coach for the Royal Army, which I thought was... That's an interesting tidbit. Yeah, very interesting tidbit. So if I ever get drafted for military service, I pray that a coaching position is, is open for... Yeah the United and that, States. And that'll be what, that, that'll be just be your job. <laughs> be... The United States Royal Army. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the United States Army fighting for the king, uh, Barack Obama. It's just, <laughs> it's just so funny to think about that being an actual position in World War II, but... I mean, hey, I, I guess somebody had to do it. Somebody had to do it. Maybe. I, don't, I feel like somebody didn't have to do that, but they did it anyway. Yes. Yes, they did. When the war ended, Liverpool attempted to get Busby to join their coaching staff, but he rejected them when they didn't offer the top position, which (laughs) was kind of (laughs) like... Screw you guys. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, "Uh, I was the coach of the Royal Army, so I better get the top spot. Head coaching nothing. Yeah, exactly. And Liverpool wasn't willing to do that for a virtually untested Coach. Oh, Liverpool famously have had bad coaching decisions all along. Like right now, just a terrible, terrible coach. Oh, yeah. Awful coach. Man, really, really bad. (laughs) They they really uh, struck gold with Jurgen Klopp. It's really a match made in heaven. Yeah, they did did well with Klopp. uh, And they had like Kenny Dalglish, who was good for them too. Yeah, yeah. He was, um, I'm still holding that hope that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can kind of turn into a English mm. figure, <clears throat> where he's like not up. like a top tier coach, but I mm-hmm. uh, was very passionate about the club and mm. could get the most out of the players. Yeah, that's that's really what I want. But yeah, maybe I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, gosh. So after Busby rejected uh, Liverpool in their job, that's when Manchester United came knocking. The Red Devils were looking for a new manager following the world war that could bring stability to the club that had been bouncing between the first and second divisions for the previous couple of decades. The last 20-ish years, Manchester United has not been good. They've been a mid-table club to relegated club to like winning Division Two, coming back up, earning promotion, then going back down. Just very volatile. Um, I like the shadiness of going to somebody who is known for playing for your two biggest rivals. For as your head coach, yeah, like like kind of back alley, like, psst, hey kid, you want to coach for us? 
Well, I got it, some candy. Yeah, it was kind of funny because when Manchester United approached him, they were keeping it really on the down low. Yeah, a little hush-hush. because because of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like Liverpool really wanted him. Liverpool is obviously a massive rival of of United. It probably intensified more after the uh, Busby and and sure. his reign. Sure. Um, it was more like. 80s, 90s, when the Liverpool-Manchester United rivalry really got heated. It's hard to really, really have a heated rivalry with somebody that you're so clearly above. Yes. Like, Fulham's natural uh, geographic rival is Chelsea. Yeah. And you know... (laughs) It's not much of a rivalry. You know how many Chelsea fans (laughs) think that Fulham is their rival? None. None. Of them. <laughs> None of them think that Chelsea. Uh, I mean, in MLS, it's like it's kind of like how like the uh, the Timbers, the Sounders, and the Whitecaps all have the rivalry, but the uh-huh. Whitecaps are kind of like, oh yeah, you're the other team that we're rivals with. Sure, why not? Yeah. While the while Portland and Seattle. Yeah, because I mean they're duking it out. Their cities are like an hour, two hours apart. Yeah. Or whatever. Well, but Vancouver's really close too. Vancouver's yeah. just across the border. Yeah. And but historically, the Sounders and Timbers have been better than the Whitecaps, and still are, and still are. Better it's hard than to the be Caps. worse than the Whitecaps right now, my friend. <laughs> Let me tell you what they are ass. <laughs> I and recently that is just that. Speaking of American football, I recently just saw that um, in the last like fifteen or sixteen meetings, the Packers and the Bears, like the Packers have won the last. 12 games and the bears have only won the last three (laughs) it's like it's it's hard to call it a really fierce rivalry (laughs) pack it up mike ditka (laughs) oh gosh so after uh a little bit of talks a little bit of um telegraphs back and forth because back in the day that's how they communicated (laughs) yep or or carrier pigeon Uh, i don't know if they did that i don't think they did that at all uh, yeah, because you never know when enemies can intercept the I feel pigeons. like they probably had the phone. They had phones already at this point. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> um, in October 1945, Matt Busby took over the reins at Manchester United. He became one of the first, or the first, modern manager that you see today that was in charge of everything from training sessions to team selections to transfers. So... Before Busby, there wasn't really a manager who did all of that stuff. Okay. You had a manager that would like choose the team selection and be in charge of like gotcha. subbing subbing people in, all that kind of stuff. And then you'd have another coach that was in charge of training. And then you have somebody else who's in charge of transfers. Whereas now modern managers like have a huge say in transfers. They're obviously in charge of training and obviously in charge of like Team day selection, managing the game. It does feel like managers have lost some power recently. Com- recently, yes. like compared to the early two thousands, even the nineties, when there was, it felt like it felt like every coach had the kind of the Alex Ferguson kind of I am I am God. Yeah, at this it's like club Bel- kind of Bill Belichick. Yeah, yeah, like, like, I'm I the head coach and everything. the GM. Yeah. And just in the last decade or so, it feels like there's been 
a big resurgence in people that are directors of football. Yes. That sort of thing, where the, the manager is now not necessarily the the head honcho when it comes to transfers and uh, player acquisitions and how you sign players and how you, and which players you let go of. Yes. They still do have a, a bigger say, and probably a bigger say. It, yeah, and I think a big reason for that is because uh, legally things have gotten so much more complicated. Like with agents, agent fees. That's true. It's probably better for somebody like um, a sporting director who... And lawyers who have like experience with, yeah, those kind of negotiations. Where back in the day, it's like, hey, we got twenty mil in the bank. You want to come play for us? And you want to like, do something? Sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll throw some of it your way. You want to uh, kick some balls for us? Yeah. So it was cool to see that uh, Busby was like that first modern. I say modern. It's a little bit different now, but yeah. the first m- manager that was actually a manager. And he was Scottish. And he was Scottish. Scotland. Scotland. <laughs> so, Busby and United hit the ground running, finishing second place in the league in 1947, 1948, 1949, oh, and 1951, which is, de- like, um, when I was second reading that, I was place? like, Buffalo Bills. Buffalo <laughs> It's like four years, four out of five years, you're finishing second. It's like, mm. oh man, it's got to feel terrible. But also, you're doing really well. Yeah, but still not as well as you'd want to be doing. Yes. In 1948, United won their second ever FA Cup hey. and their first major trophy in nearly 40 years, which is Hot crazy. Dang. The previous trophy that they won was 1908. Ow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Busby finally won the first division title in 1952. So, finally got it. Got it in there. Fantastic. Under the belt. This United squad was a high-energy, attacking-minded team, but they were aging. They are kind of getting to that point where it's like, mm, yeah. uh, maybe we should move on from some of these players. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was after this season, 1952, that Busby cemented a long-standing tradition at Old Trafford developing and relying on youth to bring success to the club. So over the next few seasons, as the United squad got younger and younger, the Busby Babes were turning into some of the best players in the league. So that's kind of what their name became, the Busby Babes, because back in the day you didn't really have a bunch of young kids playing in the league. Sure. It was for hardened men. Dudes that could break legs yeah. and kill people on the pitch. And wouldn't get their legs broken, and when- <laughs> theoretically. <laughs> that's, yeah. um, I, that's, I know the name Matt Busby because that's the, um, the SB Nation Manchester United fan site is the Busby Babe. Yes. So, yes. It's, uh, it it, it's pretty, together. yeah, it's pretty well known in, in Manchester United circles and, I mean, for older fans of the Premier League. Um, and I feel like, it comes up at least a couple times a year, the Busby Babes, um, just because of everything that surrounded them during this time period. So, with the likes of Roger Byrne, Bobby Charlton, and Wonder Kid Duncan Edward, they were Edwards, they were really doing well for themselves. Busby said of this strategy, it's every manager's dream, I suppose, to build a team by coaching young players of 15 to 17. That's why I started a youth scheme. You can get loyalty from them and continuity too. 
which is like, yeah, that's very logical. Yeah, now, and now, now it's, it's like, like, yeah, no yeah, crap. obviously. <laughs> yeah. Back Duh. in the day, they didn't really have stuff like that. That's like, it's kind of almost like when Arsene Wenger first came to Arsenal, and one of his things that he started doing was like making sure players were like eating healthier yeah. and before games and stuff. Yeah. And people were so like up in arms about it. And they're like, Oh, who's this who's this German German oh. coming in telling us that we can't smoke a half pack of cigarettes and, and eat five babby's yeds. <laughs> babby's yeds. Pee wet at half time. <laughs> I want my wig and kebab. Pee wet bang mash. Pee wet bang mash. <laughs> I want, oh, my, I want my chips. Just the just the grossest food. Yeah, yeah, animal. it's like terrible. Now sports scientists are would look at a diet like that from the, yeah, right from the late or uh, uh, like nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties. Like, what were they doing? With, Absolutely, basically what? all the way up until like early two thousands when it started becoming a thing. Yeah, it's wild to think about how long it took people just to figure out. <laughs> oh yeah, if we don't eat absolute crap before a game, we'll probably play better. Yes, yes. So, like I said, all of this uh, playing the youngsters was pretty revolutionary at the time, considering you could get away with murder in England on Absolutely. the pitch, and it'd be completely fine. <laughs> if I was a parent, I probably wouldn't want my kid playing. Yes. <laughs> like, eh, maybe when you're older, when you're making your own decisions. As the Busby Babes got bigger and older, I mean... 22, 23 years old. It happens. That's when Busby won his second and third titles in 1956 and 1957 as they blossomed. As Manchester United blossomed into a team that um, Busby had dreamed of for a at least like the last five years and they're all and they, i mean they're all becoming like men like yeah. they're all they're, they're marrying the the ability to get that coaching at that level and play at that level and so you know what it takes already yes with their bodies actually catching up to everybody else yes exactly so in the middle of defending the league title for the third year running tragedy would hit the club in 1958 Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast brought to you by Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the podcast, brought to you by Bet Online. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back from the break, Drew. You were just about to bring us all down to a somber note. Yeah, yeah. Something um, very sad happens at this point in Manchester United's history. But it's important, and I think it's an important story to tell, which is the reason why I'm telling it. Yeah. So, on February 6th, 1958, Manchester United were flying back from Belgrade after a European Cup tie against Red Star. They had just qualified for the semifinals in Belgrade yes. for the European Cup. After stopping to refuel the plane in Munich, United's plane ran off the runway, failing to take off. The plane went through the fence surrounding the airport and crashed into a nearby, how- a nearby house, then a tree, and then an oil truck. Gosh. People on board began rushing out of the plane as it was engulfed in flames, obviously. The people that could. United goalkeeper Harry Gregg when he came to, stayed behind to help people off the plane, which included pulling out an unconscious Bobby Charlton and a pregnant Yugoslavian diplomat with a one-year-old child. That He, he said that he literally like kicked her off the plane. Yeah. Um, 20 pa- passengers on the flight lost their lives during the crash, while another three died later in the hospitals. The Manchester United players that were lost were Jeff Bent, Roger Byrne, Eddie Coleman... Duncan Edwards, Mark Jones, David Pegg, Tommy Taylor, Billy Whelan, and then Walter Crickmer, who was the club secretary, Tom Curry, who was a trainer, and then Burt Whaley, who was the chief coach. There were also several journalists on the plane, and those that lost their lives were Alf Clark, Donnie Davies, George Follows, Tom Jackson, Archie Ledbroom, Henry Rose, Frank Swift, Eric Thompson, and then the plane crew, Captain Kenneth Raymond and Tom Cable, and then two other passengers, Bella Miklos and Willie Satinoff. Oh, that's so many people. It's a lot, a lot of people. I mean, 23 lives. I think there are 44 people on board. Yeah. So over half of the people died. Um, it was that bad because of the oil truck, mm-hmm. because it ignited... Mm-hmm. And obviously, like the plane went up yeah. in flames. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a monumental loss that yeah. it, it's hard to describe with words. Um, 
what the club went through at this time. You you think of the uh, Brazilian club back in 2016. Yeah, uh, uh, Yeah. Um, where so, I mean, obviously, like, a lot of players die, but also, like, just a ton of people in general. Like, it was, human it was beings. their entire first team died except for one guy who yes. was injured and he didn't make the trip. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, absolutely terrible. And so after something like this happens, like, what do you do as a, as a professional soccer team. Yeah. I mean, like, I, it's unimaginable. Um, you never think it's going to happen to you. <laughs> no. The, there was a lot of blame being tossed around. I, the, the crash happened on the third try taking off because the weather was so bad. Oh gosh. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. It was literally the third try and they were going to not, try it anymore after the second attempt um but then someone decided that they would probably be able to do it the third time and so that's kind of how it went down um yeah is truly truly horrible and so matt busby was one of the survivors of the crash um, he was seriously hurt, though. Seri- like, uh, I read that he... I mean, he was in the hospital for a while. Um, and he was in excruciating pain. How much of that was from just, like, the sheer loss of the... I mean, his babes. I mean, like, the players that mm-hmm. he'd, he'd see, seen grown into men. Yeah. Um, well, you you kind of also, like... Especially since there's... I feel like now it's a little bit nowadays is a little bit different just because it has become so much more normal for teenagers and people to ascend to the ranks of first team yeah. soccer kind of thing. But especially back then when it was so uncommon. Yeah. Like you have to feel like he there was like a little bit of like a father figure type of relationship there. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so uh while Busby was recovering, Manchester United tried to carry on with the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like at some point you feel like the, the guys would want the team to, to carry on and not to like spiral into. Yeah. Nothing. But it's, yeah, but it's obviously the hard. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the emotional toll that it must've taken on the, the survivors or the people that didn't make the trip, like Jimmy Murphy, who is the assistant manager. he, wasn't on the flight because he was um, coaching the Welsh national team. Yeah. And so he was the one that took over um, for the rest of the season for for Busby. Um, Busby eventually returned to the sideline, but Murphy was the one that coached the team for for the last five, five months of the season. So of the players that survived, many needed time to recover, obviously. Yeah. Um, and a couple understandably retired right after the crash, mm-hmm. um, like Johnny Barry and Jackie Blanchflower. So I, I'm pretty sure the, I think the Brazilian team, there was one player who survived the crash and he retired like right afterwards and he just like worked with the club. And that's what these two players did 
for Manchester yeah. United. It reminds me. Do you remember? Um, it was like, well, like four years ago. Do you remember when uh, the Dortmund team bus got tried? Somebody Bombed. tried to bomb. Yeah. The Dortmund team bus. Yeah. And they, and they didn't work. Yes. But they they bombed the team bus, and then they went and made them play the game the day after. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. After players were injured. Yeah. Um, Christian Pulisic was on the bus. Yeah, like like he, he they got were, he, they were he got all, injured. I'm pretty sure. On, I don't I don't know if anybody got injured, but like in, just mentally, mentally psychology. How much of a toll that takes? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like somebody's bonkers. willing to kill me over this this game. Yeah, yeah, um, un, unimaginable. Uh, Busby himself didn't know if he would ever return to manage the game after the tragedy. I mean. Kind of like what you're saying. He's the father figure. Um, he was quoted a lot of times saying that um, initially, like he took the blame for a lot of it because he's mm-hmm. like, "Man, I was the one that put these guys on the plane. Yeah, um, I, I could have stopped this. I could have said, oh, let's just play it safe, and we're not gonna, yeah, we're not gonna fly away.' Um, I feel like that is, I don't know, like survivor's guilt." Basically, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, when obviously none of that was it's not his actually fault. his fault. Yeah, but it's impossible to like not think that on yes. some level. Yes, absolutely. So reserve team members and players on short-term contracts were brought in to finish out the season for United. It's reported that teams like Liverpool and Manchester City offered loan players to help United out too, which is really cool. I mean, back then, I'm sure it was cool to see. Um, just the camaraderie behind it. I know Real Madrid um, offered Di Stefano to come play for Manchester United yeah. the following season. That's um, <laughs> but the FA um, shut it down. Um, All right, screw you, FA. Which, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> that would have been dope. You, FA. Yeah, been... no, it really would have been. Um, they were like, "We'll pay half his salary still, and he can just play for you guys." Um, and Real Madrid actually did a lot for for United after it. Like they played hmm. a lot of friendlies um in the after like in the following couple of years um to kind of just like help support the club a little yeah. bit more. Um so it was co- it's cool to see like the big clubs and, and especially rivals like kind of come together mm-hmm. in a time of tragedy, which I guess you kind of expect, but also when it happens it's still really nice. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. So, the season continued with United getting knocked out of the European Cup by AC Milan in the semis. They actually did win the first match, the first leg wow. against them, which is crazy. Yeah, what? Wow. Um, like, absolutely bonkers. Um, but when they played the return leg in Milan, AC, AC Milan advanced. Um, they beat them pretty, pretty handily. And then they actually finished runner-up in the FA Cup that year, too. Wow. Um only losing to Bolton Wanderers um, at Wembley. And I think it was like 2-0. But even just making the final was remarkable. Oh, yeah, like a big huge. deal. And they ended up finishing ninth place in the league, which is still like top half of the... Respectable? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So remarkable achievements after what the club had obviously just gone through. Yeah. Real Madrid went on to win the European Cup and they offered it to Manchester United. Even if it was like a symbol, they're like, 
we we will like want to dedicate yeah. this to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And like Manchester United refused. So yeah, like, no, like, you, no, you earned this. Like, <laughs> like obviously what happened to us was terrible, and we're flattered. But like you it's, guys, you guys won. So, um, Busby was then convinced after the season by his son and his wife to return back to the manager's box to rebuild the Manchester side that had lost so much. Mm-hmm. So, um, his wife and son really. We're like, hey man. We- <laughs> That's what his son said to him. Like, hey, hey man. Hey bro. <laughs> uh, dad, the guys would want you to to yeah. come back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, um, That's well, I- when Busby really um, he he came back and, and he came back hungrier. He's like, I want to build this club into the best team in Europe. Yeah. And the only way that we're the best team in Europe is by winning the European Cup. And so um, when, when he came back for the 1959 season, it was like with all that in mind. Obviously, there's a lot more work to be done. Sure. You're not going to come back the next season and, yeah. and do all that. For one, <laughs> After you, you've you, lost half the team. You haven't qualified for the European Cup. This because is true. you finished ninth place in the league. So... Um, with goalkeeper Harry Gregg and future Ballon d'Or winner Bobby Charlton to build around, Busby went to work developing another generation of Busby Bapes. Which, honestly, like, if you get to build a team around Bobby Charlton, it's, like, pretty nice. Yeah. I mean, he's, like, one of the best players in the world. Not a bad, not, not a bad fate. Not a bad, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, this new wave of Busby Babes of course, included general talents like George Best and Dennis Law, both of which went on to win Players of the Year um, yep. along with, with Charlton. Gosh, George Best. George Best, man. What a... Tra- that's, another, that's tra- an another tragedy. That's, that's yeah. an episode of yes, its own. it really is. After nearly being relegated in the 1962-1963 season, United went on to win the league in the 1964-65 season on goal differential, which is, I mean, it's a win's a win. Baby. A win's a win. And that, hey, we take those. And that's the all. The tiebreakers are there for a reason, baby. Exactly. United won again in 1967. They then went on. Winning the league was the only way to qualify for the European Cup back gotcha. in the day. So when they won in 1967, they qualified for the 1968 European Cup. After defeating Real Madrid in the semifinals of the deal. 1968 uh, European Cup, Manchester United advanced to the final. As you do when you win the semifinal game. As, <laughs> yes. It's kind of the only place to go. They were set to face a Eusebio-led Benfica Ooh. at Wembley. Ooh. Yeah. When I was reading this, I was like, man, what a tasty, tasty match. Well, yeah, for real. I mean, like, you're playing Eusebio... You're at Wembley. It's the European Cup. I mean, come on. Especially after like the resiliency of the club to to come back and to make it back to the European Cup final um, after what it had been through just ten years prior is remarkable. Eusebio is a favorite of mine, also because uh, for a little while for Portugal he wore number thirteen. Ah, yes. And that's my number. Lucky number. Always been my number. <laughs> So, um, in what was a thrilling match, after full time, the score was one to one, all square. But in extra time, 
United put in three. Dunked Jeez. three Ooh. Ooh. on Benfica, which is pretty crazy because um, at the end of regulation, United went up early in the game, and then Benfica kind of started building momentum. Yeah, worked their way back into the game. Like the, the 70th minute, they scored, and then like they ended the game. Like The team that looked to be Manchester more decisive. Manchester United was just kind of holding them off. Yeah, they were holding them up. Um, and so United just putting three in on them in extra time was pretty amazing. That's, like to be alive during that to in watching that, I can't imagine the emotions. That's very much the Warriors blew a three one lead in the finals. The True. Falcons blew a twenty eight three lead in the third quarter. True. That that kind that type of stuff. Like you came back for extra time and then you let in three goals in extra time. Yes. So obviously after Manchester United scored three goals in extra time, they won yeah, they the did. game. They did that. Benfica did not come back and nope. score three goals to force penalties or anything like that. So, for the first time in Manchester United history and the first time in English history, Oof. an English side won the European Cup. Manchester Chilly. United did it first, um, which I thought was kind of shocking because I was like, dang, I feel like uh, an English side would have won before this, but well, when was the Europe? When did the European Cup? Yeah, start? that that's the thing. I think it started in the early sixties. Yeah, so if it you hadn't been like a ton of if the European Cup started in like nineteen ten, England probably would have won the first one. Maybe I'll fact check that right now. Yeah, give it a little, give it a little quick fact check. Because I, also I want to say it was like the fifties. Obviously, obviously. In the very earliest stages of the game, when like the earliest clubs were around, they were being made, a lot of them, in England in the late 1800s. And so if you had a European Cup occur at that point, you would probably think that an English team would have won it. It was 1955. Sure. So, I mean, this is 13 years the yeah. tournament's being held. Manchester United obviously wins their first ever European Cup, but the first time for England, an English side to win. So that's all amazing. Yeah. Um, and I just like, I don't know. Like, it's chill. It's chilling every time I hear this story, just because. You of, get the goose flesh. Yeah, yeah, you really do. After the match, Busby said, This is the greatest moment in my life. The fulfillment of my dearest wish to become the first English side to win the European Cup. I'm proud of the team, proud for Bobby Charlton and Billy Folks. Who, are, who have traveled the long road with me for the last 11 years. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Matt Busby became Sir Matt Busby after this night. Hey, hey. Um, let's, let's knight that let's guy. Let's knight that guy. Bus, Busby stepped away from managing at the end of the season. Yeah, and on a high note. Go out on top, you know what I'm saying? He's like, I did, I did what I set out to do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's time to, to move on. Um, Mic drop. After 24 seasons through some of the toughest, the toughest moment in club history. Mm -hmm. um, that takes a toll. I imagine it being like similar to a president of a nation. You know, like the aging photos. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's about, it's time. about that time. It's time, so I don't die soon. <laughs> yeah. So, after Busby stepped down, United... Didn't win the league again until 1993. 
after a manager by the name of Alex Ferguson, another Scott, Scotland, had taken over the reins at Manchester United. Ten months after Ferguson and United lifted the Premier League trophy for the first time since Busby did it 26, early, 26 years earlier, Busby passed away at the age of 84. Dang. I was like, cool that they won one more time before he, got to see he it. passed away. He got to see it. It's, it's really too bad that he passed away before United went on the run in the 90s. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That they did. Because they also won the year that. He yes that he passed away and they won several times after that they did um so that is the story of Matt Busby the Busby Babes and the Munich air disaster yeah um I think everybody fifty eight I think I feel like everybody knows that like somewhere along the line United had a plane crash and that was like a big tragedy yeah but the a lot of the details and especially the the broader history around it gets yeah. lost. Yeah, because you're you look at Manchester United there and you think, oh, they're a big club. They've always been a big club. Yeah, they've always had a ton of money. Old always traffic. been really successful. Theater dreams, baby. I don't think people really think about how the club could have imploded after that plane crash. Yeah, um, totally. Like they, there were talks that the club would have to like close its doors essentially. Yeah, and af- without after that happened, without somebody like matt busby who obviously had a vision yeah and had the kind of just the grit and the determination and the ambition to not only do the thing he did the first time with his first edition of the busby babes which was like something that hadn't really been done in the league before yeah that nobody else was doing with all these young players and then to say i'm gonna come back i'm gonna do it again yeah and then executing is is crazy but without somebody like that you think does this club even exist anymore yeah i mean not probably not to the to the success that manchester united went on to become i mean busby set the foundation for sir alex ferguson to um kind of take manchester united to the next level of being like the biggest club in the world uh because they certainly were for for a time um, and I think without Busby, you don't have yeah. Sir Alex. You really kind and of... And so everybody knows Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah. Because he's very recent. I don't know if everybody necessarily knows about Sir Matt Busby other than like Manchester United Manchester fans United and fans. like soccer history buffs. But without him, maybe Manchester United fades away. Yeah. As opposed to what they are now, which is still... I mean, even though they haven't been good for the last couple of years, they're still kind of an international juggernaut yes yes absolutely. that probably will won't change anytime soon yeah it seems unlikely so yeah. gotta watch that debt though do you gotta watch the old <laughs> debt uh, looking at you glazer family oh, looking at you yeah. guys sell the club let me put on my yellow and green scarf real quick glazers out glazers out <laughs> woodward out woodward out please <laughs> um sources for this story are obviously the manchester united archives um matt galt from these football times Michael Walker from the Irish Times and Steve Graves from Liverpool Echo. Nice. Thank you to those sources. Thank you to those sources. Thank you, Drew. Yes, of course. Giving us that story. And you know what? Thank you, listener, for listening to this story. We know we've been away for a little little bit and we apologize about that. But we are back. 
We are going to have another episode to you very, very shortly. And for now, we just want to say thank you so much. And if you would like to consider supporting our podcast a little bit more, you can do so in a couple of easy steps. One of which, and the easiest and most impactful way, is to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. So easy. The more ratings and reviews we have, the more people see our podcast, and that equals good things for us. So if you could rate and review our podcast, it would be very, very much appreciated. Also, if you're interested in following us on any social medias, we are at DeadballPod everywhere. That's on Twitter, where we're probably most active. We're on Instagram. We also have a Gmail account, deadballpod at gmail.com. We're at Facebook. You can get a hold of us any of those places. And if you were looking for something else, something else in your life that you really just need to support Deadball Brothers with, you can always do that with the clothes on your body if you go to our Teespring store. The oh link to gosh. which will be in the description below this podcast. We got t-shirts. We got hoodies. We got a long sleeve shirt. We like the designs. They're pretty cool. So mm. if you feel like it, you can always do that. And I think I got everything. Yeah, I think that's it. So we're going to see you again really, really soon. But for now, my name is Adam Whitaker-Snavely. And I'm Drew. And we love you very, very much. See you soon. Bye.